everyone, and welcome back to the Green and Gold Rugby Show for another week. We're the show that's getting you over the game line on the hottest topics of Australian rugby, whether you're listening to us on Eon Sports Radio or directly from my podcast feed. We're thrilled to have you. I'm Reg Roberts, aka Rugby Reg, and joining me as per usual is uh, Matt Rowley. How are you, Matt? Mate, I'm good, but I'm I'm just I'm pretty weary just um, realizing that I've now done about 250 podcasts. This is our 251st show. Um, I don't yeah, know, it's really sad, isn't it? I don't know how we let that go unmentioned last week. Just pop out 250 podcasts. Why not? Uh, it's 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 uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. And and also with us tonight, Hugh Cavill. Were, were you on that first one we ever did? He wasn't born yet. What with wasn't born. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can't believe. I mean, I think we were. I think we were discussing um, the the appointment of Alan Jones uh, to the Wallabies, <laughs> and saying that it had never worked out. Uh, so was, <laughs> we actually yeah, have podcasts. I, I'm older than you. That's true. I do remember one of our early ones, and you know, you will note that we've streamlined this one a little bit. One of our early ones, I think we had eight, nine, ten guests on. I think we had a couple from each state and west, and it was mm. hilarious how we, we actually somewhat managed to pull it off in, in terms of keeping it somewhat continuous. Well, I always remember our first guest, which was Al Baxter, who, <laughs> through, through a friend, I persuaded to let him come on, but we didn't really nail down how long he was going to come on for. And um, we had him on for an hour, and he thought he was going to do like a ten-minute slot. <laughs> <laughs> but he was so polite, he didn't hang up. Um, he just kept going. And I had my friend sort of texting and tweeting, uh, tweeting me at the other end saying, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, he seems completely happy about He's it. He's happy. <laughs> he was just being polite, I think. Anyway. A lovely guy, lovely guy. Look, we've got a big show tonight. Um, we're going to get into it pretty quickly. We've got a guest coming up very soon, David Begg, uh, president of Sydney Rugby Union, to talk uh, Interest Shield as well as a few other things uh, before we get into our five burning questions, uh, which are quickly uh, the hopes of the Shoot Shield this year uh, with its changes and innovations. That's obviously one for David. Um, and then how he sees Australian rugby heading given the current landscape is question two. Question three is the Rupert's Strongest Five petition. Uh, is that a power play or a bit of a dud? And the Aussies, for question four, the Aussies were zero from four last weekend. Where does that leave us going forward into this weekend? And finally, question five, who will be the Wallaby number nine this year? So let's get stuck into it. All right, joining us now is David Begg, President of the Sydney Rugby Union, to discuss uh, Intrust Shield and a bit more than that. Dave, thanks for joining us. Great. Great to be here. Look, mate, our first burning question of the night is, I guess, on the back of the, the launch of the Intrust Shoot Shield uh, a couple of weeks or last week and then the first round this weekend passed. I guess th- th- there's a few innovations this year, a few things different TV-wise, uh, competition-wise. What are your hopes for the Shield this year? Um, well, we've got, I suppose, there's a number of things that we're trying to do to make it um, change and evolve. We think um, the traditions of the competition are really important. So we, we're not trying to be radical or revolutionary, but there are a number of things that we are doing. We're obviously trying to in, in, encourage all clubs to introduce uh, a female component to what they do on a Saturday, be that a sevens game, a schoolgirls game, a uh, fifteens game involving local clubs, whatever it is on a Saturday afternoon to try to, you know, make women's rugby relevant to the shoot shield. Ultimately, we'd love there to be 
a, f- a fully fledged female 15s and even sevens comp in the shoot shield. But um, at, as things stand at the moment, we'd at least like the clubs to showcase um, a, a female component to the afternoon. And the other the other, other innovation we're undertaking this year is to take one of the two V games to the bush. And there's another game I know of that's going to the bush. And I think I'm, we might be able to announce within a week there are one or two additional games going to the bush as well with the plan that next year there will be something between six and ten games going to country New South Wales. That's fantastic. So have they been announced, or at least that, that first been announced, uh, where they, that's going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we've got two games that have been announced. Um, Uni are playing... Um, trying to remember who they're playing. They're playing a round four game in Barrel okay, um, yep. at, the, at the, the, the the Barrel Blacks ground, and um, probably a little more exciting because it's a TV game. Our round seven game between East and Gordon is being played at Orange on the thirteenth of May, um, and the Orange local derby between the two big Orange clubs is being played at one twenty as the curtain raiser, and East and Gordon is being played at the main rugby ground at Orange at three o'clock, and that's going to be on seven two. Oh, fantastic. So just talk about the funding. Is that being funded by Sydney Rugby Union or, or does the local uh, council get behind it's that? All being, all, being, all being funded locally where, fantastic. Um, you know, there's a real desire from local councils, local businesses to, um, to incorporate what are really strong local rugby comps but also to bring maybe on one view a slightly better quality from the shoot shield to, to, to play to the, the country, you know, the, our, our country brothers as well. And, I mean, the really important thing in the development of those relationships is from my knowledge of having been a Shoot Shield president for five years is each club has at least one very, very strong connection with a country region or a country rugby club. And we're trying to rely that strong connection with them taking, taking one of your club's games back to that place where you've got the connection. That's great, mate. So, 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 Dave, you're obviously... Um, well connected in, in Manly. Who's who's Manly connected with out in the? In the... Tamworth. Tamworth would be the club. Tamworth Pirates would be the club that we would have, or Manly would have the, the connection with. And I'm, I'm doing as much as I can. However little leverage I might have left there, I'm encouraging Manly, and they're very keen to do it to uh, to take a game there either this year or next year. I mean, you know, sometimes the draws locked in already. It's a bit hard to move because you've got sponsors' days and ladies' days and mm. all kinds of things. But you, you know, as long as there's goodwill, then we'll get as many guns back to rural and regional New South Wales as possible. That's brilliant. And so TV is a, a big part of all of this. What what are your guys, what's the kind of development there? What's the plan and what's been happening? Well, we're on TV. Um, we're excited. The, the production, um, I think even on Saturday, was better than what it had been in the first two years. I think the guys that are doing it are continuing to evolve and learn and I think it's getting better and better. I mean, I think it was assisted on Saturday by the fact that the, the TV game was an absolutely cracking game. Um, you know, it really showed up really well and so we're on TV for the whole of the year. We've, we've de- developed some good relationships with some good corporate partners, including Charter Hall, who we were, um, and we had the launch at their premises last Wednesday night and, um, um, you know, we're the free-to-wear TV-focused guys is really, really important. Um, we're the only rugby footprint on free-to-wear TV in Australia. So that really does, in our view, that really does matter, makes us relevant, and also it also enables rugby to, um, to, to obviously have a significant footprint on pay TV through all the stuff that happens with Fox Sports, but we also think it's really important that there's a presence on free-to-wear TV as well. Okay, and is, is is with shoot? Is that still only free to air, or are you talking to Fox about anything? 
No, I mean, at the moment it's only free-to-air. I mean, oh. um, we, we, we've certainly had discussions in the past with Fox. I mean, mm. the, 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 the contract doesn't necessarily limit us to one game per weekend on free-to-air, but obviously 7-2 have the match of the day, and they're very keen to continue with that at 3 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. I mean, you know, there may be opportunities to have other games at other times. I, I, I don't know, but um, certainly I think it's fair to say that 7 other commercial partners, Fox, whoever looks around the rugby tapestry, the thing they really like about our comp is the kind of tribalism and rivalry that 130 years of competing against each other brings. Mm. Hey, so uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave. I think last year, was it late last year? For, historically, the ARU, I think, chipped in a bit of funds for the broadcast. They did. Was it late last they year they, they pulled out? I assume they weren't yep. involved this year. No, 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 we're on our own now. So, so is it so everything, yeah, all the clubs basically kicking to begin themselves? No, no, clubs aren't kicking anything. We're doing it by developing relationships with corporate partners. We're right, not asking okay. clubs for any money at all. Yep, so, again, that's a sign that the, the competition's strong. It's a great sign. And, mate, I, I was going to ask. Oh, oh, sorry. You, you go ahead. I was going to ask, on behalf of Matt, because Matt hasn't stopped talking about the grand final last year um, at North Sydney Oval, have you guys seen you know, a positive... I know, I know it was great rugby sort of through the season, but it was a great culmination. Have you seen a positive interest from sponsors? Obviously, the broadcasters are happy. The ARU even on, on what's happening in Clubland? Oh, totally, yep. It was, uh, it was a, an almost perfect end to the season. Um, in my case, being my last year as president of Manly, it only would have been more perfect if Manly made the grand final. But it was it was certainly a perfect end to the year. Great ground, great venue, you know, made perfect by obviously North being there and winning their first grand final in a long time. So, um, you know, and that, that again, that, that day and that experience made it probably a bit easier for us to showcase the comp to our corporate partners. So that, that's been a good thing. Um, and you know we, we want to, but we want to do it better this year. We we want to replicate everything that was good about the final series last year. But we're gonna we we want to do it better, and we're expecting the clubs that host final series games to put on a real show, mm. a real show. Um, but the days of the kind of suburban club with a scoreboard that doesn't work and a ground announcer that might stagger in on a back of a few beers at five past three on a Saturday afternoon is gone. We appreciate that we we're living in a. You know, in an environment that's very tough, um, you know, spectator sport at that level is not as, you know, not as viewed as often as what it might have been in the past. So we ne- we appreciate we need to provide a good product. And, uh, um, you know, I think that everyone, most people recognise that the quality of rugby played at our competition is really good and um, most people appreciate the tribalism. So we're really looking forward to that final series this year. Yeah, so, mate... Um just talking about the finals and then when they're going to be. So is it still the case that um, there's going to be a bit of an overlap there with the NRC? No, there's no there's no overlap. Okay. The NRC's pushed, pushed itself back a week or two. Ah, there we go. Okay. So, and, and so when, there we go. When did you guys find out about that? Uh, a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Um, cool. Well, look, look, you know... So the, NR, the NRC, I think... As I understand it, I don't think they've released their draw yet, but I think it has been yeah. announced that the NRC will start, I think, the first weekend in September. Wow. All, all power oh, to you, mate. Good result. Yeah, um, there you go. Can, can we sort of head into that, um, Dave, and, and just talk, I mean, you know, we do this podcast weekly, and it's it's getting pretty hard to talk about Australian rugby at the moment, and I'm, and I'm sure you're... <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> you're seeing it out there. I guess looking at the Australian rugby landscape at the moment, interested to know, interested to hear your interpretation of it, and, and, and perhaps as a layer within that is is where the shoot shield fits and where it may go with with this whole scenario at the moment. You know, what's the solution for Australian rugby moving forward? Uh, well, you know, like anything in life, I, I, I don't think there's one silver bullet that solves any problems that Australian rugby has. So the starting point is, I think rugby people often are our own worst enemies. We really are down on ourselves a lot. 18 months ago, we made a Rugby World Cup final. We had sides making the Super Rugby final. And sure, this year has not been stellar from a Super Rugby results perspective. But we've sometimes got to get a bit, a bit of balance around how we're going. Um, we're living in the most competitive winter sports market in the world. There is no other winter sports market where there are four major football codes competing in the same market. Okay, so it's tough. It's very difficult. But um, you've got to look. You've got to look for green shoots, and there are green shoots. So you'd want to highlight them. Registration is up in a number of areas in New South Wales and Queensland, and and I want to particularly highlight rural and regional New South Wales, where there are a number of areas that are kicking it out of the park, literally in terms of rego, both junior and senior. Um, I, I, I think the, the the evolution of the game um, into a modern contemporary footprint post 1995 has, however, been a challenge. And I think Australian rugby may have struggled with that maybe more than what South African and New Zealand rugby has because we, in the past we've had the difficult conundrum where we've in the past been Sydney, Brisbane, Canberra-based, whereas both New Zealand and South Africa, it was a national game. And we've, we've, you know, we've had to create a national game to suit the broadcasters and suit the expansion of Super Rugby. And for club rugby, that's created some challenges. That's clear. And we can't hide the fact that, you know, it has been a challenge at shoot shield level to try to showcase and highlight a competition where, to be frank, now very few people from a super rugby perspective play, the, play, play shoot shield rugby, whereas 20 and 25 years ago, it was the norm. So that, so that evolution has been a challenge, and I'm not sure we've reached the right tipping point now, but I think we should be working to reach that right tipping point. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's an interesting time. I mean, yeah, one of the thoughts I've had this week, Dave, is, is and it's, it's not a new one, and I guess it's on the back of Alan Jones and so on, and, and you look at that New Zealand system, and, and part of their success is that they've got this seemingly endless supply of talent. So, you know, mm-hmm. if someone gets injured, someone gets uh, suspended, uh, they've got another that can step in there. That yep. seems to be one of the biggest challenges with our super rugby teams at the moment and, and how do we solve that you know it's that grassroots isn't it that's where the players are coming from that's where we've got to invest time and money to to get those players up to scratch i, I would i would strongly agree with that i think i don't want to buy into the how many super rugby team argument um there needs to be a it's not my remit and b that's about to be decided in the next week anyway okay so let's just park that but the reality is the vast majority of our Wallabies, the vast majority, still come from Sydney and Brisbane club rugby. Okay, that's just a statement of fact. So, so when when looking at those competitions, by their very nature, they have to be healthy for there to be an evolution of health and growth in the Australian rugby paradigm. They just have to be. Yep. If they're unhealthy, then then I'm afraid in Australia the game is atrophying. So. Um, you know, it's difficult at the moment. The ARU is clearly financially strapped. 
And I think the clubs have now even moved beyond the stage of asking for direct funding from the ARU. But I think we, we, we'd like to see support in other manifestations. And, you know, the thing we touched on earlier about recalibrating our season, which we're very, very keen to do, and the fact that we've done it in the ARU's um, seeing fit to push the NRC back a bit, that's been helpful. And that, those, those signals or markers are really important for people playing in club rugby to say, OK, well, our competition really does matter. And it really does. Without the Shoot Shield and the Brisbane Club Comp, we're just not producing wallabies. Mm. And, and, mate, I mean, you mentioned it there. I mean, um, I mean you, you're saying, uh, and I, I can only imagine, I would have thought that the ARU would be financially struggling, but uh, we've just got word over the last week or so that apparently there's a $3 million surplus there. Does that tally? I don't know. The, the AGM is coming, I think, um, next week or the week after. Yeah, yeah, yeah Monday. Yeah. So... Look, it'll be interesting to read the documents there and see where it is. And, you know, if there is a surplus, then, you know, maybe we... we there, there may be some modest recognition of the role that Shoot Shield plays in everything, but mm. I, I don't know. And, I mean, we, we get on well with the ARU. We understand um, We understand where they're, you know, that they're presently constrained. Um, and, and we do think that they... That, there is maybe a, a greater appreciation by them in the last 12 to 18 months about how important the overall health of Australian rugby is. It needs the, the nourishment of the Shoot Shield for, and the Brisbane Comp for it to be healthy, frankly. And without them, um, as I said, it, it just wouldn't be. So, as I said, it's Monday afternoon, the AGM, so let's see what the, let's see what the, the, the financials say then. So, mate, that, that sounds a lot warmer than um, a few of the letters that Pappy was firing off a few months back. So, have, have, has there been um, some conversations, some discussions? Are you guys... Yeah, yeah, look, look absolutely, closer? absolutely. I mean, look, I, I, you know, I live my life professionally and otherwise in trying to build constructive dialogue with people. And that's what we're trying to do. There's good faith from the RU towards the Shoot Shield. There's no doubt about that. Um, and there's good faith from the Shoot Shield to the ARU. I mean, I'll give you a good example of that. I mean, we, we decided to um, play our bye weekend this weekend um, rather than putting it on the long weekend, which is what all the players would have wanted. Mm. We put it on the weekend of the Scotland Day Test because we thought it was really important that Clubland supported the ARU in bringing daytime Test Match Rugby back to Paddington. So we thought it's perfect for us to have our bye weekend that Saturday. Right. So, you know, it's mutual. Um, but that doesn't mean we agree with everything they do. Mm. Um, and when they don't, when they don't, and we feel there's an opportunity to articulate it, we will. Mm. I mean, if you look at that sort of doomsday scenario, I mean, let's say we don't contract uh, and we stay at five teams or and the, and the competition stays at 18 and Sanzar kind of drifts on and it all continues to become more and more irrelevant. I mean, surely you guys must look at that and think, you know, actually, that's potentially. Would you say that's happy days for the shoot shield coming into its own? Well, look, look, look. Some some people have put that to me. Okay, uh, yeah. that's. I, I, I view that the Australian rugby um, kind of the Australian rugby as a as a as a racing car, and we're part of the engine. Yeah. For the car to work, everything needs to work, and I think it's kind of misguided to say oh, it'll be really good if Super Rugby falls on its face that all of um, club rugby will do well. I mean, there, there is no doubt that, that the Australian or the Sydney, particularly, the, I suppose, in my case, the Sydney rugby public is desperate for success and for following a winning team. And I suppose some people have said, oh, that's not going to be the Waratahs. That, mean be, that means there'll be additional interest in the shoot shield. And certainly our experience on Saturday was that generally for, for the first weekend in April, the crowds are really strong. 
and the interest was really strong. So we do think that's right, but, but we just want all of Australian rugby to prosper and succeed. Look, Dave, I know you've got to go. I've got one more question for you. You talk about sure. what the ARU can do for you. I'd love to know what can the ARU do for Sydney Club Rugby Shoot Shield if it's not about handouts? Um, well, I, I, I suppose handouts um, are maybe the wrong way of looking at it. But yep. what we'd like to see from the higher levels of rugby... Well, one, well I'll, I'll give you an example of one... Um, analogous um, of a sport which I think has a good system and that's that's cricket with its great constituents. They have um, specific purpose grant funding for specific purposes when clubs have an actual capital need that they can't meet that's going to benefit the overall rugby community in that district. So if next week Parramatta needs a scrum machine that costs 11 grand and they just can't fund it and that scrum machine will be used by Parramatta Juniors, Parramatta Schools, Parramatta Women's, then under those circumstances, if the Australian Rugby Union has the capacity, my idea was a a, a scheme where on grants with maybe three independent arbiters reviewing it, there could be a funding model available for that. That, 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 to my way of thinking, would be a good way. And it'd also be a good faith opportunity for the ARU to say, this is how much we care about community rugby, we're prepared to do it. I mean, their argument why they're not prepared, for example, to give each club $100,000, which they were doing five or six years ago, is there are one or two clubs that probably have a better balance sheet than the ARU. And that's that's true, but <laughs> yep. that, that's, that's, through, that's through their own good management. So, I mean, you know... I'd, I suppose I suppose they take the view that it'd be money thrown down the toilet. But if there was some kind of specific purpose grant scheme where on application clubs could apply, particularly for capital works, because I know most clubs now, and this certainly applies at Manly, in the absence of that, most a lot of clubs have now tried to set up their own foundations. But that's just, you know, you're tapping up the same people all the time. So it'd be good if the ARU saw the way, saw the way fit. You guys... No doubt, are far more influential than I am. If you've got some leverage there, maybe suggest that as a as a possible out. I think that would create a lot of good faith, and I think there needs to be better good faith and ongoing constructive dialogue between the RU and the significant senior rugby figures in Sydney rugby. I mean, Pappy plays a really important role. He's the vice president of the Sydney Rugby Union, and he's the president of one of the leading Shoot Shield clubs. So, for my way of thinking. Um, we shouldn't be silencing him. We should be saying to him, your views are important. The majority of people I speak to agree with a lot of them, so he needs to be brought to the table. Yeah, amen. More communication, that's what we need to agree wholeheartedly, Dave. Constructive communication. You know, not... The final thing I'd say is a lot of recent rugby media has been rugby trying to eat itself. We don't get a lot of media... So my view about it is let's try to make the media constructive, positive, and talk about a, a proactive vision for the game. Yeah, that's right. It's a message we've been pushing for a little while. So right behind you there, Dave. Look, really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man. No dramas, um, guys. No, no dramas. Have a good talk. All right. Excellent. Good I'll get you on again guys. down the season. Thanks, mate. Righto. No problems. Cheers. Okay, bye. Thanks again to Dave Begg there from uh, President of Sydney Rugby Union. Great to have him on the show. Um, let's get on to our next burning question. And the question is, does Rupert's stronger as fire petition, uh, is that a power play or all a bit of a dud? They released this earlier this week. Uh, the first put out, I guess, vocal um, play by the by Rupert there is, is a, a petition saying that we need to be stronger than five. We want five teams. Hugh, um, what do you think? What, what sort of, what's the positioning of this one? 
Look, I understand what Rupert are trying to do here. They're, they're advocating for their members and, and good on them for doing so. Like any union or sort of um, organisation, players association, people, they want as many members as possible and having them, some of their members lose their jobs um, is obviously not in their interest. So they're only advocating for their members and I understand that, but they're, a part, they're partisan and, and um, obviously, they've got interest in, in there being five teams. I'm sure if you ask Rupert, they'd like to have ten teams in Super Rugby. Um, yes. So, you know, so the logic doesn't really flow on. Um, but I think any cursory glance at the weekend Super Rugby or the previous weekend Super Rugby or any weekend of Super Rugby this season would show that using strong uh, next to Australian Super Rugby at any time I think is a bit of a laughing stock. Um, I, I just don't think that the word stronger should, is, is used. Because, look, God help us if, if we're weaker as four, because I, I can't see how we can get much weaker than what we are now. Um, I, look, I, I'm not sure the campaign really passes muster for mine. I think there are much better, you know, I understand their arguments, and uh, but I don't think they're the most authoritative source to be, to be, uh, arguing in this debate here about whether we go to four teams or whether we keep with five teams or what the configuration of the comp is in the future. All they want is, is their players to keep their jobs and everyone to keep a, you know, keep money in their pockets. And that's fine. But um, I think we've got to realize where they're coming from there. And they're not exactly the most impartial source. Yeah, I got it. I'd say so as well. I mean, look, I was just thinking on the weekend sort of, you know, how did we get here? Um, in terms of, you know, Australian uh, Super Rugby. Um, and yeah, so just a little bit of a segue, but, I mean, there's just – it seems to me there's just so many things that – it's no one thing. Um, I definitely think having five teams at the moment, though, is a is a bit of a shocker um, because if you – I mean, like the data visualisation I'd love to see would be, you know, number of, um, you know, top-tier Australian rugby players going overseas versus our win ratio against, say, uh, New Zealand. And I think you'd, you'd start to see something that looks vaguely correlated um, between those. Um, but it's not... Well, just, Matt, just, to, just to interrupt there, Will Skelton's just announced he signed with Saracens for two years. Exactly. So he's another one gone. <laughs> well, I, I, you, did say, you did say top-tier, though. <laughs> but, but that's the point, Red. Just Sorry. To, just, to stop, just to stop you there, though, like, regardless of what you think about Skelton, no. and you, I agree, he probably isn't quite top, top tier, but it's death by a thousand paper cuts. It it's is, it's it these is. guys. You know? Yeah, we can replace Skelton, and we can but, replace Hugh Pyle, and we can replace Peter Kimlin, and, and all the, but once you get to 20 or 30 of these guys, then you, you stop, you know, being able to replace them. Yeah. No, I 100% agree, and that was a flippant remark just to, <laughs> no, done, no, no, no. to draw the ire of my Waratah friends. <laughs> but, you know, but that's exactly the argument, I think, which is that we always, we know that we don't have, because of what Dave said, we've got that competition in our, in our rugby market. We know we don't have the depth. So you lose 30 or 40 players across five teams and you start to see what you're seeing. I think at the same time, then obviously we've seen um, whereas the, the Kiwis have kind of got together and clearly lifted a level across the across the park, um, we clearly haven't, um, and uh, so that you know that's just been missing. So I think you put all, you put all those things together, and then I think on top of that, you've got the AOU's policy they've now had since John O'Neill days. So I find it funny when he chimes in um, about basically just feeding at the top, feeding the system from the top, and, and not looking to feed the bottom. And you put all those things together, and you get where we are now. Um, now, 
cutting it down to four teams isn't is only fixing sort of one of those factors, right? It's not fixing, you know, the, any of the other three, and I've probably left one or two out. Um, so, you know, this whole idea, so staying stronger at five, uh, I think is an oxymoron. There's no way that's the case. Um, but, you know, bringing it down to four isn't going to fix those other three or four things that are wrong with it. But just before I hand over the microphone, um, a thing that hit me, I was going for a run during the week. And you know how we talked a couple of weeks ago about how strange it was that the, um, that the CEO of the Brumbies, uh, what's his name, Phil Thompson, um, you know, kind of rolled over so easily and said, like, you know, as soon as there was a bit of a rumour that, mm. you know, maybe, and he went, oh, yeah, that's fine, we'll fold in with the Rebels. Um, it kind of hit me that the only reason he said that because he knew that that wasn't going to be the case. So if you think about it, Phil Thompson, yeah. caught at the AOU, right? So he knows everything that's yep. going on there. He knows that whenever it was, how, what was it, how long ago now was it, six, nine months ago, when, yep. the, when the AOU bailed out, he knows that that was when the decision got made that if there's someone who's going to go, it's going to be... Um, it's going to be Perth. It's going to be it's yeah. going to be the force. So that's why he was very happy to um, seem like he was folding in and going, yeah, if that's what needs to happen, we'll do it because he knows it's not the case. Anyway, consp- yet another one of my conspiracy theories, but that was the only thing that made sense to me actually. Yeah, interesting. Uh, pretty valid there. Um, look, the one thing you talked about when was this tipping point, mate? I, I, it just it ticks me over, and particularly in the chat. We're talking about Rupa here, and I remembered, if you remember, gosh, how long ago, I managed to pick it up, say, March 2014, I did a book review of Tony Dempsey, you know, released a book called For Love and Money. So he was the former uh, head of Rupa, um, and, um, you know, it was an interesting book, and it talked a lot about that sort of when we went professional, and one of the, my biggest gripes in reading that is at the time, um, there's a big battle between the players and the ARU, and remember the ARU was completely amateur. So this was even before John O'Neill. Um, they, the players wanted to keep 100% of the News Corp investment. Um, in the end, it got down to 95% of that that sort of broadcast rights. Um, and, and at one stage, actually really kicked up a stink when it was looking to be only 90% of that rights. So in the end, they got 95%, but they wanted the 100%. That really riles me that there was no forward thinking there, and you know Dempsey. That's what his role was to get the best deal for the you know professional players, and maybe they needed it at the super time. But there was no forward thinking there about, hang on, where did all these players come from? Should we not be investing a fair chunk of this back in the game? Let's take eighty five percent, and that ten percent we're foregoing gets invested back into to grassroots rugby. And if that was the case back then, where would we be now? What twenty one years later? Um, Hopefully, a hell of a lot stronger. Off, we, we we may have sustainable five teams, six teams. Who knows? But you know, the, the action should have been taken back then. Unfortunately, it wasn't. Well, I think I think Alan Jones is launching his own campaign. It's a new hashtag: stronger is two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, is that for him to be coach as well. I, I think so. Yeah, I think um, just to go straight back to 1983. I think is 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 the general theme there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think he's got good support from John Connolly, apparently. Um, look, uh, we're going to move on to the next question, um, and it's it's back on the field again. And the Aussie teams went zero from four last weekend, uh, which we thought they probably would, as it is. Um, but so, where does that leave us going forward? Particularly looking at this weekend. Uh, Matt, we're not surprised by that. Do we anything change for this weekend? 
absolutely bloody stuffed, I would think. Yeah. Um, I haven't even looked. So what have we got? I know the Tars have got – they're away at the Hurricanes. Um, you don't want to look at the fixture list anymore. It's just a – Yeah, no, it's scary. So, yeah, Friday afternoon, Canes take the Tars. When do we play the Kings? Well, surely because we play the Kings or the Sunwolves or someone well, easy? Must be close because the Force take the Kings this weekend in Perth, oh, uh, and God. then of course the Brumbies and the Reds have a derby down in Canberra with the Rebels having the weekend off. So, oh, yeah, we've got a, we've got an Aussie team win. Woo! Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Potentially two. Oh, uh, yeah. Because so, so what's the other one there? Oh, the Force and the Kings. Yeah, yeah, right. Force and the Kings. Uh, yeah. Um, it's interesting though. I mean, it's, the, 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 what's highlighted to me is because we're so far behind. Um, is it, it all comes down to conference now, doesn't it? And that's you hear some of this talk, and I was in the Reds media box a couple of weeks ago, I think, for that Crusaders game, and all the talk was almost, and this wasn't the coaching team, it was more the admin staff, was, yeah, it's a bad loss, but in the end, it's all about the conference, isn't it? And you've got to beat the other, other Aussies, and as long as you do that and top the conference, that's all you need, which is a real shame. One of the big, you know tipping steps of this competition is that, you know, the focus on those other games, and I think it's wrong. I think we may see teams foregoing, resting players for perhaps some of those New Zealand games that they had no chance of winning because they're playing the Waratahs or the Rebels or the Reds the next weekend and they want to protect their players for that oh-so-crucial local derby. Yeah, well, you definitely get the feeling now when you're watching these games. I mean, like, oh, I mean, like the Rebels are phoning it in. I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's just got to a bad state. And I don't know what happens now with Tony McGann. I mean... It looks to me like something's busted there, right? Um, it, uh, yeah, I, I, it, that they, they seem to me at the point where I don't know how you don't start talking about pulling the plug on the coach, surely. Oh, it, it's abysmal. Five losses, three massive ones. Um, it, it's huge. Well, the writing was on the wall with Tony McGann last year when, when they lost the Crusaders by 85, and there yeah. should have been more. They should have sacked him then and there because as soon as – I mean, that was one of the worst performances I've ever seen on a rugby field, and it just showed an utter disregard for this. The, the coach had lost control of that team completely, and the players had no um, no ambition to play at all, and it's, so it's continued this season. How he's still in the job is remarkable because um, he's clearly just completely lost that dressing room. Well, and on top of that, you've got these, these, these injuries, and I think one of the things we learnt from the Tars in the 2014 is that these things aren't just all coincidence, um, um, especially where the soft tissue stuff comes. So, and yeah, like I said, I'd, I'd heard whispers before that apparently there's long breaks in, in Rebels training where, um, where the coaches kind of ramble on and, and basically really. the players get cold. Um, so, yeah, all sorts of stuff. Um, anyway, that's a bit of scuttlebutt, I guess. But um, well, you, And you compare that to, you've got to say, you know, hat tip to the force um, and what um, Kepler Vessels is doing there, um, you know, with, with, with his team. And interestingly enough, you know, talk about him um, moving to the Brumbies as coach there. So, oh, he's there. I haven't picked that up. Yeah, interesting. yeah, that was in the papers today that there's some sort of whisper or rumours got out that he's been interviewing. So, again, this whole thing about, um, yeah, I think Thompson knows exactly what's happening and he's already looking for his next coach um, to, you know, to, to replace Bernie who needs to you know, focus full-time on the Wallabies job. And, and at the risk, and I can feel the, uh, the anger coming emanating from the West now as we have these discussions, but it's, it's a smart signing because now he'll likely bring along with him guys like 
Billy Meeks and Dane Halepetti and guys like that to the best he can at least. But it's um, yeah, that's that's a little bit sad. Yeah, so hey. it's hard to know where we go. Look, the one thing I'd say is like, um, just what's going on with this? I mean, is there any reason why we couldn't have had? You know, whatever it is that the Kiwis have done over the last two years in their skills program um, across the board. I mean, everyone tries to say, oh, it's because they're centralised, they can do the centralised thing, but it just it, it just feels like we're so far behind on that or, or, or nowhere near. So did you read McBurn's... Oh, Wayne Smith wrote an article in, I think, must have been Saturday's Australian, um, with Mick Byrne was talking at some... Might have been a Randwick rugby lunch or something like that. And Mick said it's it's massive. It's still a hangover from the Eddie Jones days. He said the structures uh, involved... He goes to training, some of these state teams training, and they're spending... Hour, you know, not hours, but they're spending such a large chunk of time on practising line at driving malls. There's, there's no... A dry, you know, unstructured play there. There's no, um, you know, building the creativity or the, the ability of these players to take advantage of things that just may come up in a game. It's all about structure and and what we do here and how we do it and so on. So mm. he said, you know, that that'll be one of his that and his and Checker's focus will be on identifying players and picking players who they know will be able to adapt to the situation, which 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 will be interesting. Um, it's going to be it just great. means a lot of Waratahs picked as per usual. Yeah, well, it just also means like you know how much time do the Wallabies actually get each year, right? Exactly, exactly. Versus um, Super Rugby, and um, yeah, you just kind of. I mean, there are guys though who have been in that New Zealand system, like um, Dave McDooling. Um, mm. You know, he I think he spent at least the last maybe that like, two seasons at the Crusaders, so he's seen what's been happening with that national. Um, thing and I mean, as you said, Mick Byrne has sort of come from it. Like, even though he left that system, I guess a couple of years ago, um, you know, Dave McDooling's seen that firsthand. So it shouldn't be a surprise of whatever they are doing. But I think you're right. I mean, that whole thing. If you think about how many times a piece of structured play comes into a game and how well you can control a game with pieces of structured play versus how many times unstructured play comes in. Um, and therefore, how well you can you, you can control a game with those you know micro pieces of unstructured play where um, you just know what's going on. I mean, just watching the Crusaders on uh, you know Sunday Arvo, it's just the number of times they threw a hail hail mary ball inside, and there was just always someone there. It was just unpoor play, absolutely. Uncanny. It's ridiculous. Um, and, you know, it's just you, you know which of those two is going to win, right? You know, in you know time after time. Yeah, and you know, you talk about the structure, and you know, I referenced Eddie Jones, but you go back to McQueen, and he was obviously so successful at what he did. It helped when you got guys like Eels and Horn there for the ride. But you look at the influence of that generation on, on what we've got now with Nathan Cray and, and Nick Styles and Steve Larkham, all senior roles, head coaches um, at our three most traditional teams, and the influence of that, what they learnt in their elite rugby. Uh, through the structured play of Rod McQueen and Eddie Jones, um, and that's what we're seeing now. It's 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 like we need a whole refresh. And and you go back further. I mean, you know, the Dwyer generation. That's where it'll be interesting to see guys like Morgan Turunui come through and Sean Byrne over at the Force. Whether that, that traditional Randwick influence might fight its way back, but that's uh, it's interesting how the influence of those generations can come through in the, the, the coaching uh, approaches as well. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, there's some very interesting chat now about. And I think uh, oh, what's his name? Ben Darwin said that actually, if you yeah. did it, that um, yeah. you know, in in fact, it looked like uh, you know, oh, what's his name? Uh, 
was a lot, you know, the uh, uh, Robbie Deans was probably a much more, you know, it was probably a, a, a much more a, a much more successful coach than we actually first thought. But I tell you yep. what, like, if you if you want, I'll, I'll see if I can find a post and maybe put it in the the uh, you know in the in the uh, show notes here, or I'm um, just share it around. But my son dug dug out. We did like some highlights back in 2010. Um, and um, it's to a track Tenderoni, and uh, it's the one where Curtly Bill gets the ball in the middle of his forehead. Um, yeah, yeah. You know when he does the Gilbert, and you you watch those highlights, and you go, God, the Wallabies haven't played like that for a while. Um, you know, mm. not in, in not even in you know last you know the year World Cup year, um, maybe in glimpses in some of those games, but there's a there's a fluidity in the play, and and the other thing that hits you is how much talent was on the park. Um, in the, you know, when you had, and it, you know, as, as much as they were probably toxic, you know, the three amigos and the whole lot going on, um, there was a lot of talent on that on that park, uh, and uh, yeah, it's not on. I don't, it's not on display anymore. Yeah, I'd like to know who the Australian backs coach or attack coach was at that time. I've got a, a sneaking suspicion it might have been uh, Richard Graham. Oh God! <laughs> there you go. There'll be a, there'll be a meltdown. He was Wallabies coach 2009-2010, and I think that's about when we're looking at. So, anyway, interesting. Um, look, let's move on to our last question. Um, and, and simply, we're getting close to Wallaby series, uh, a couple of months away. The question then, who's going to be our Wallaby number nine this year? The injuries, forms, massive considerations. Hugh Cavill, who do we pick to play nine? Well, look, uh, obviously, Will Genny is a uh, standout for, for the later later games. I, I wouldn't think he'd be coming home for the Junior Internationals against um, Scotland, Fiji and Italy. Um, so I think it's it's wide, wide, wide open. And I've got to say, Joe Powell is probably uh, could be something of a front-runner, given he's been included in squads before. I'm a big fan of Jake Gordon and have been for a little while. Um, and I thought he was good. He was very good against the Crusaders. Um, and I would have said poor old Ryan Lawrence, but um, yeah, unfortunately the news of him doing his ACLs put paid to that, and that's a bit of a shame, uh, a shame for him and a shame for the force. Look, um, Phipps and Frisbee have got the runs on the board, but, I mean, they're, they're not, they're not um, having great seasons at all either. So, look, if I'm picking it tomorrow, I'm probably picking Joe Powell. But um, I like Jake Gordon a lot, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in a gold jersey if he keeps developing uh, as quickly as he has been so far this year. I just like his plays. He's got a good boot. He's got good game management. He's got a good running game, and he's got a good pass, and I think he, he's um, he's only going to get better. Support plays very good too, which, as we say, is a bit of a weakness in Australian rugby. Interesting thing about Frisbee is I, I, I've got a sneaking suspicion he may not make the Reds team this weekend. So, uh, judging by comments in that post-match press conference by Nick Styles, so we'll see. But yeah, he's nowhere near a Wallaby jersey at the moment. He, uh, Matt, what about you, mate? Who's your choice? Yeah, well, look, I mean, I guess it was less about who my choice was, is just you know who it clearly was. Who, who do we that, have? Who it isn't at the moment? And I know we're trying to restrict this just to the nine, but it's not just the nine. But you, you say if Bernard Foley's injured, then who's the team? 
him. Oh, gosh, absolutely. Um, you know, so what is this combo? Which I guess is why Phipps isn't, you know, you don't have to worry about his combo with Foley at the moment, so you just basically might as well give Jake Gordon a go. That try he scored from that inside ball was outstanding. I don't, I haven't seen a nine score a try like that for a while. Um, the pace, the straight line pace that he showed on that angle was fantastic. I thought he had a great game, and... Um, Geez, if you want an example, you know, he even had a box kick that worked, and then Phipps came on and stuffed the very first one he tried. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I'm, as people will know, I'm a little bit of a Phipps fan, despite all of his glaring weaknesses. Um, so, yeah, I, mean, I guess the, the bigger thing about this question that I was just interested in was that you kind of look at that and you say, wow, we're, you know, thank God it's just Scotland, Fiji, and Italy, because, you know, God, if we were playing anyone really decent, like, I don't think we've got a 9 and a 10 at the moment. No, you're exactly right. And, and, and to that extent, my my approach for this test series, and I, I don't expect it to be happen, but I don't see why not, is let's pick and choose for the test match. Let's use this time to try out combinations, but just unashamed. And, you know, this is I'll, I'll get howled down for this because I was kicking up a stink about giving away Wallaby jerseys to Corabetti <laughs> last year. But let's give away Wallaby jerseys. Let's pick, you know, for the Sydney <laughs> test, let's let Jake Gordon make his test debut that game. Yeah, because, you know, I think he's good enough for test rugby. Let's give it a show. It's, it, it, that's the Scottish game, isn't it? So that'll be a, a tough encounter. But let's pick the Melbourne guys for Melbourne. Well, let's pick Naivalu and Corabetti on the wing and Lepetti Tamati, make sure he's starting for, you know, the Suncorp game, Italy. Let's make sure Kyle Michael Hunt's starting and Karevi's in at 13 and Quaid's even a chance at 10. Chris Unashamedly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll get some of these old boys back as well. But um, <laughs> I think we're going to need something to make these tests even somewhat interesting to uh, to the local punters um, outside the real diehards. And, and maybe having that real strong local favour uh, uh, flavour Will help. What that means for the Nines jersey—that's that's Jake Gordon in in um, uh, in Sydney. I don't think you can pick Frisbee or Tuttle yet for a Test match in uh, in Brisbane. But uh, like I say, Joel Pale's probably the next behind, and now that Lauren's out, I don't know. Mate, there's we, not many. You got to be careful there. We got to defend our third, you know, third ranking status. Which how on earth we have, I don't know. But uh, yeah, we've got to defend that. Who are so? South Africa playing France, I assume. Yep, that'll be an interesting series, won't it? That'll be the challenges. We don't really have to defend it. I think the World Cup ratings is uh, ratings is ranking is set already. So you know, this is a bit of a you know, we don't want to lose, obviously, but uh, this is a bit oh, of right. a bit of right, serious. You really don't give a crap about the jersey anymore, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it's not a test jersey. It's just an extended professional franchise these days. It's all about it's yeah. all about. Uh, uh, you'd be calling You'll start calling them the, yeah, calling them the Qantas Wallabies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go Qantas. Um, look, we're going to wrap it up there, guys. A couple of things, just of points of note. This weekend's the Hong Kong Sevens, one of the great sporting or weekends uh, globally in Australia. Here, they're probably their strongest team they've put on the pitch for a little while, despite, I think, Jesse Parahai's out in the last minute, is he not? Yeah, he did his ankle, I think, um, which is a bit of a shame, but... Um, Oh, be be um be good to good to see how we go. We've been sort of threatening that quarterfinal, semifinal. Um, you, we're sort of back to the the old days where we were sort of just happy to turn up and challenge for a spot on the podium. Um, so I don't know if that's going to change this week, but uh, it'll be fun to watch nonetheless. Yeah, so I think we've got Samoa, South Korea, and England in our pool. So um, that'll be a challenge. Um, 
yeah, with the England game at least. Um, the other sort of rugby news this weekend past was the under twenty nationals wrapped up in Ballymore and Queensland smashed New South Wales, and it was it was a dominant Queensland performance all series. I went along to this game, and there was some fantastic skill involved. And, and uh, the Hamish Stewart's a young guy, young fly half that's getting a bit of you know quiet publicity around the place, and I expect him to feature this weekend for the for the Reds and and probably more so towards the season. He might even usurp McIntyre once Cooper's back. So he's a gun, but there's some really quality players uh, in that team. So interesting to see how they develop, and then they obviously all come together as a national team to play the Junior World Cup later this year as well. So um, let's hope the uh, Aussies perform a lot better in that than they have in the past. Mm. How hasn't he been signed to league yet? It's amazing. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Um, all right, guys, that'll wrap us up. Uh, anything else from you, Matt? Anything you want to mention the... the the schoolboy sevens at Scots wasn't on the weekend was a big success I see. Yeah, no, yeah, good, yeah, good to see that went down well. I'm sure um, all the listeners uh, got there. Um, no, look, the one thing I was going to say is this, I'm just waiting for the phone call from World Rugby to uh, want to follow, uh, you know, yes. our, our podcast. Um, <laughs> yes. we, we should say it didn't go unnoticed. I, I, I caught the tweet from World Rugby where they'd actually made a video of the egg chaser rugby podcast going to was it Bucharest? Yeah, going to Romania or something oh, yeah it? yeah they went to Bucharest and uh, yeah they followed them there and even videoed them doing their live thing so look yeah if I, if if your emails in my junk mail AO you let me know or world rugby I'll I'll try and dig it out um, I'm sure you're pretty keen to get this sterling podcast into video as anyone would be yeah, I saw that they've, they've just approved two upcoming internationals, Kenya versus Germany in Nairobi or Philippines versus Singapore in um, Columbus City. Which which guys? Which one should we target, guys? Which one of those do we want to hit? Uh, yeah, Ooh, Philippines sounds nice. Yeah, Philippines I'd go for. Yeah, sounds good, man. All right, work on it, guys. All right, that's going to wrap us up. Uh, thanks to you, Matt. Thanks to you, Hugh, and to all our listeners. Uh, we look forward to joining you again next week.